episode 71 with Mike Riley of Pure Prairie League. What an awesome band. Love these guys. I really appreciated this podcast. And uh, we connected via Zoom. No video this particular podcast, but it's a great listen. I'm sure you're going to really enjoy it. Don't forget about our sponsors. First of all, Morning Buzz Coffee Company based out of Hamilton, Ontario. Awesome coffee. They'll ship right to you. Owned by a couple of great musicians. And uh, please support them at morningbuzzcoffee.buzz. Next, Stickman Clothing Company based out of Regina. Uh, musicians that own this as well. Great family-run business. And they have awesome clothing wear. Check them out at stickmanclothingcompany.com. Also, Music City Canada, based out of London, Ontario. Great bunch of guys that work there. You can get all your musical equipment there. They'll ship right to you as well, musiccitycanada.com. All right, this is Mike Riley. He's awesome. We had a great conversation. Pure Prairie League, what a band. I know you're going to really enjoy it. All right, we're here on the podcast with a great fellow. We've been uh, spending the last... 45 minutes tried to connect each other via zoom and we made it happen and it's nice to have mike here on the podcast welcome and i'm uh, glad we got everything working well thanks to you and, and your patience and your help yeah yeah now you're all set for zoom meetings i think we got it all figured out you can you can do a hundred of these now well let's get let's get through the first one and we'll take it from there well it's great where, where are you located now I'm in Sag Harbor, New York, at the east end of Long Island. Oh, nice. How, yeah. how long have you been there? Uh, on and off since 73, but I'm, I've been out here permanently since uh, 08. Oh, nice. Perfect. Yeah. So how are you faring? Uh, I know with, I always like to ask now, with COVID happening and all that, and gigs are to a very, very minimum, if anything at all, uh, How's that change been for you? Yeah, our last gig was in February um, of last year. Yeah, and we're not uh, we're not even looking at anything until at least uh, June first, and those are all outdoor shows, and then uh, nothing indoors until at least September first. But then you know that's a fluid situation, so we'll have to just see how it goes. Yeah, it is. It's it's hard to tell. On it, it, it looks somewhat positive, but it, it changes daily and. You never know. Yeah. You never know. We're uh, I'm outside of Toronto here, and we're we're behind in vaccines uh, compared to to you. Uh, and I know we're supposed to get a big another big shipment next week, and Pfizer just said no, you're not going to get it. Um, so I think the U.S. has put a lot of pressure on making sure everyone in the country there is getting <laughs> vaccines, and everyone else um, has to get you know what comes to them. So. Um, yeah, well, we can't get it. I mean, I I'm in my 70s, and I'm supposed to be in the, you know, in the 1D or whatever group. And uh, they said it's probably going to be, well, you got to make an appointment, and there are no appointments available until at least the middle of March. Wow. And that's now. Um, that could always end up being the middle of April. or, And then you got to wait. you got to wait for the second shot after that, too, and hope that there's enough there right. for the second right. shot. Well, I don't know. I mean, now they're coming out with one that's a, a just a single shot type thing, and I may just wind up having to wait for that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'll get both of them. I'd get them today if I could, but, you know, um, and that's what's, that's one of the things that's kind of forcing me to sequester myself at home. Yeah. Um, you know, keep, uh, keep the uh, forays out into the world uh, at a minimum. I mean, I, we try to go to the grocery store really early in the morning. Oh, yeah. 
it's before the crowds hit, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not something you want to get. Um, it, you know, I've, I've known a few people, not really anyone here in Canada, but a few American friends uh, who've had it. And, you know, everyone that I've talked to said, yeah, you, you, you don't want to get it. It's not fun no, at all. No. Some people breeze through it if you're lucky uh, and if you're younger. Um, but, uh, you know, anything over 50, I think you have to really be careful. Um, yeah, I'm in my 70s, so I don't want to take any chances. I mean, I've got a com com compromised immune system anyway, you know, yep. from, uh, from a, a transplant, a liver transplant, you know, 15 years ago. So it's like, you know, I can't afford to, uh, you know, take that many chances. Yeah. No, best to play it smart. I think that's a good way to go. It's funny taking a look around. Uh, there are still a bunch of shows happening, um, places, um, you know, tourist destinations like Branson and all those type of places. They're all doing shows and, and having people come in. And it's odd. I mean, you, you want you, you, you want to look at them, say, hey, good for you and and great. You're doing shows. But then you look at it and kind of go, how are you able to do shows? <laughs> you know, it's 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 a weird situation. Yeah, I don't think it's, you know, I mean, it, there isn't any kind of a uniform response to this whole mess. And um, I think that's one of the problems. And that's why things are continuing to, uh, you know, to escalate in terms of this, you know, this pandemic idea. I mean, I wish I could believe that it was just all BS, but it's not. I mean, I see friends out here getting sick, people in town and yeah. and, and they can't even get into the hospital. So, yeah. And that's, uh, that's, a, scary. yeah. And, and on top of that, you don't want to have anything else go wrong with you. Um, cause you can't get into the hospital. Um, right. Well, it's a snowball effect too. I mean, if, uh, you know, God forbid that I should get sick from something else, but, um, uh, you know, if I get COVID, who knows what the hell's going to happen there. Yeah. No, you just stay, uh, stay smart and, and, and do the right things. And I think all will be fine. So do you miss uh, miss doing shows? Yes, I do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been playing road gigs for fifty years, and it's kind of a it's kind of a strange thing. I've never had this much time off ever. What do you, what have you been doing with your time? Your lawn looks pretty good. <laughs> well, the lawn looks great. The garden looks good. The trees are trimmed. You know, we uh, built a new porch on the front, and yeah, I mean, we've been doing all the stuff around the house, and also you know, going through the house and cleaning stuff out and doing all that stuff. But, um, you know, which of course that's, that's takes up maybe the first few months or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, then after I realized by the middle of June or middle of summer that this thing isn't going to go away. Um, you know, I just got, I didn't get depressed, but I just said, what the hell? I mean, I'll be just be honest with you. I, you know, I just went, well, I don't feel like doing anything. So, I mean, basically what I do is I either go down the street and play pool at a friend's boat business yeah. in his office. Um, and I know he's been tested and I've been tested, so we're cool on that. Or I'll, uh, you know, I mean, I've got a laser pistol range set up in my basement for, uh, you know, yeah. for practicing that. And, uh, and I, you know, I finally got my studio stuff together and started working in here, working on... Uh, um, you know, working on tunes to try to put together a live record. So nice. Yeah. Well, there's always some plus things that happen. You know, I think having some extra time and catching up on some things that you should have done or always wanted to is is a good thing. It's just, you know, it's a double edged sword. <laughs> it certainly is. 
You know, I'll tell you what, my relationship with my wife has, you know, has, has never been better. Oh, that's good. Because we both, uh, you know, she's retired, but she still works a couple, three days a week, you know, in a little mom and pop shop here in town. And um, yeah. uh, so she gets her socialization in, although she's behind plexiglass and masked up and stuff like that. But um, we've been spending so much time together and it's just been great. Yeah. I mean, it, it, some people can drive each other nuts. Which we do at times, but um, but you know it's just strengthened our relationship. Like uh, I can't believe, and it's you know that's a blessing. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Uh, and I don't have to get on an airplane or into a rental car or sleep in a in a hotel bed, you know, without the you know without checking it with my bug light and stuff like that. So yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 like I said, it's a double edged sword, man. It's really pretty strange. Yeah, and it's funny what when I've been chatting with a lot of people and that's the one thing that everyone says they, they don't miss is getting to the airport and, and, you know, taking the flights and then the rental car and the, um, hotels. And then, I mean, the the gigs are always great and everyone looks at things and say, Oh, it must be fun to be able to travel all over the place. And after a while, and you know, obviously you've been doing it for a long time and, and I've been touring a long time as well. And it's, it's the glamour goes away pretty quick. Um, uh, you know, the, the greatest thing for me on the road is, is have finding a really good place to go eat. Yep. Yeah. Well, we've been out there so long that we're, uh, we've got things pretty well dialed in in terms of, uh, you know, yeah. Restaurants and so on and so forth. Yeah. So when we know we're going to a certain town, there's, you know, there's a lot of places that we'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, find out and and uh, jump over there, and at least we know we're going to have a good meal. I was speaking to uh, Rusty Young just a couple of days ago, and uh, we did a podcast, and we chatted about that uh, same thing. It's like, yeah, every place, every city, you have that favorite spot, and that's that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing next to the gig that you look forward to, and sometimes more than the gig. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't wait to go to such and such a restaurant. And, that's true. Well, it, you know, that's one thing that, it, it, you know, kind of at least gives you a little bit of a shot in the arm is that, you know, you're going to, you know, when you're going back to the same town, you know that you can go to, you know, Mabel's diner and you're going to get a great meal. So Yeah. And let's hope most of them are still sticking around. So uh, the restaurant industry is really having a tough time. Um, yeah, no kidding. That's that's and that's gonna that, that that's what puts a lot of these mom and pop places out of business. Which you know, by next year when we finally get out rolling again, um, I'm wondering if you know some of these places are still going to be alive. Yeah. Well, hopefully, and uh, uh, you know, hopefully they get some some money sent to them and have a way to figure it out. So uh, we'll have to just wait through it and see. I think there's going to be from a lot of people I talk to just starting up the touring process for a lot of bands are, is going to be difficult. Um, especially if it's a, a bigger group with, you know, a large, you know, say you take 80 crew on the road or with you or something like ridiculous. Like that. But those, a lot of those guys have all gotten other gigs and other jobs and, and trying they had to. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to get those people and those bigger tours back out in the road and rolling again, it's going to be a slow process. And I think it's not going to, all go at you know full steam it's gonna take a couple of years to, to I can't yeah exactly I can't imagine I mean um, you know the, the whole live nation you know that kind of thing is just gonna be uh, logistically nightmarish yeah so um, it's like a reset really I think the whole industry needed a bit of a reset I think 
Um, there's certain aspects uh, that were out of control, I think. Um, and I think this will bring everyone kind of back to the same playing field again, as far as, you know, agents and bands and, and venues all kind of, you know, there's lots of weird stuff that happens. And uh, so hopefully this kind of eases things back down again and, um, you know, start everyone off in the same playing field, I think. Well, it makes everybody stop and sit back and think about it and then try to figure out, you know, I mean, right when this whole thing hit and then I guess in the last six to eight months, uh, people were kind of like, panicking trying to figure out well what can i do and how can i do it and so on and so forth and you know they're trying to do zoom band shows and yeah. and all that kind of thing and that's it, it which is you know i i applaud everybody for trying to do that but it you know it's kind of not the same um but uh i think the panic has worn off and it's sort of like okay now let's let's be grown up and intelligent about this and figure out how we're going to do it from the bottom up, from the from new artists to the big established artists. I mean, you know, can you imagine you two, what they've got to do to put a tour together? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's hard to think of those really big tours right now. And those probably would be the last ones to get going. And I think it's acts that can go out with a small footprint, um, you know, not a big crew and, and kind of get in there and get out safely would be the ones that will really do well off the beginning. And um, hopefully, yeah. I mean, that's what, you know, we, we don't even, you know, we're lucky if we can take a sound man out with us. Yeah. You know, we are our crew. So we bring our guitars and stuff and, you know, set up our gear and get in there and, and get it done. Well, uh, that's good. I mean, that's going to be good for you and getting back going again. Cause I think a lot of venues are going to be looking for that type of situation. Absolutely. I think so. But uh, once again, you know, if you've got like, a, let's say a, we, we do a lot of theaters and performing arts centers and that. So yeah. if, you, if you've got a 300 to 1500 seat hall, if they're still going to limit the um, capacity to, you know, 25 or 50 percent, you know, number one, how do they make any money? Yeah. Number two, they, you know, the, they want the bands to take less money because they can only get so many people in. And, you know, the bands have basically got, I mean, you know, we have a set amount that we have to have to just get out the door. Yeah. Just to make it worth it for us. And, I mean, we're not talking about big paydays here. We're talking about just, you know, gig pay and paying the expenses. And, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, the model's not great when you have to limit your capacity. I own a, uh, with my family, we own a venue here in Canada and we have the same thing. It just, until we feel that we can probably open fully again, um, it, you know, you don't make money when you're at 50%. You don't make money when you're at 60%, um, capacity. Um, so why do it to lose money, um, or break even? It just doesn't really make sense. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think there's ways around it, and I think if you can bring in an act that doesn't cost a lot but may still bring some people in and kind of keep keep you going. But there's all these other things of uh, insurance and, and all these other costs that are skyrocketing. And um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing's going to stay fixed either. Everything's going to be more expensive, and, you know, where is it all going to come from? Yeah, yeah. Everything's so. more expensive, and there's less money to give out. So it's not a good thing. That's it. That doesn't That's it. Work that and way. The competition for 
fewer gigs and more acts is going to be just cutthroat. I mean, you know, we this band's been together 50 years. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have sort of a built-in fan base, you know, all over the country, for instance. But, um, uh, and we tour a lot with Poco and, you know, Firefall, uh, Lana Rhythm Section, Orleans, you know, yeah. Little River Band, groups of our ilk and our age group, sort of. Yeah. And uh, as a package thing, it works out really well because people get a lot of music in one night and, um, uh, and it works out. But, uh, but, you know, for, for a new artist, boy, I can't imagine the struggle. And, um, and for the big artists, they're just going to have to sit around and twiddle their thumbs until, you know, something, uh, something starts to shake out. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, it all comes together smoothly and it's going to take a bit of time, but, uh, you know, the good thing is everybody's anxious to get back out and, and see some live music and see a show. And um, I think once once we're able to, it's really going to do well. Um, and the people who can stick it out will, will really do well. So I think so. I think that, um, you know, it's uh, there's I, I don't I don't see, you know, talking to Rusty and and, uh, and some of those guys and those other bands that we work a lot with. Um, uh, I, I don't see anybody losing their enthusiasm for playing. No, you know, I mean, come on, it's it's it, it's what we do. But um, everybody's been around long enough to know that if 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 you know we have to do something else, I guess we will, or you know, scale it back to a thing. But nobody's talking about retiring and you know yeah. being done. Yeah, I only talked to one person, uh, actually, John uh, John Cowan. Do you know John Cowan? Sure, sure. Yeah. So I did an interview with a uh, podcast with him. <laughs> Surprisingly, he was like, yeah, I'm getting so used to being at home I've, that I'm not anxious to go out at all. Um, and, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So uh, you want to play, but it's it's been nice having that time at home. And, um, and uh, I think it's that same thing. It's that. Think of, thinking about hitting on a, getting on the plane again and going through all, you know, security was bad enough. Now, you know, what what is, is it going to be like now? And someone's coughing next to you and you're going to be nervous. And like, yeah, yeah, well, that's that's the thing. It's like it, it's a scary deal. So I'm, you know, I'm impatient, but I'm content to wait until, you know, we don't have to worry about uh, sitting next to somebody that's hacking up their, you know, their their lungs and, and wearing a mask and, yeah. you know. But, you know, thank God they at least did something with the service animals. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's true. I was waiting for that, and uh, that finally happened. So it was a, it was an <laughs> excuse for a lot of people to bring their, their pets on the planes. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it just got crazy. I mean, you know, it's like even even if you uh, decide to treat yourself and fly first class, you're sitting next to somebody that's got a German shepherd at their feet. <laughs> it's like, for Christ's sake, come on. Let's, you know, let's get real about this. Things got just... Things got out of hand, out of control, and I think that it's, you know, like you said, it's a reset, and I hope that everybody resets from soup to nuts. Yeah. You know, yeah. and not just our industry, but everything. It's going to be, a, it's going to be, the new normal is going to be a new abnormal, but it's, you know, it's going to be the new normal. So, yeah. you know, get used to it. So let's go back. Um, let's leave this COVID chat behind yeah, and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> go and chat uh, about Pure Prairie League and, and uh, you know, what a great band. It, um, 
you've been with them. This is, it would have been 50 years last year for, for touring? Is yeah, when the band started touring, we did our first gig in September of 1970. Wow. No, 69. 69, yeah. Yep. yep. And uh, you joined the group. Uh, was it in 73? 72. 72. Yeah, I was in, um, I was in England for a year, me and the piano player, Mike Connor, who's since passed away. Yeah. Uh, we were in England for a year doing a project over there. Um, and, uh, we toured with David Bowie. And when we came back in May of 72, uh, the, the, you know, Pure Prairie was just getting ready to go in the studio in Toronto, as a matter of fact. Yes. The busting out album and so they called me and mike connor and uh you know said hey can you guys get up here and and uh you know let's get this thing on and that's when they actually became a band with real members you know the billy hines the drummer and mike connor and i joined at that time and um you know that, then they finally had a full touring unit it was interesting i didn't realize you had recorded in toronto and i just uh, was reading a little bit, doing a little bit of research before uh, we connected here. And it's like, oh, wow, they did that album in Toronto. And then there was a, a note that uh, a good friend of mine who's a steel player played on the album. His name is Al Briscoe. Al Briscoe, of course, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've worked with Al a bunch of times and know Al very well. Um, and uh, I, I read that. So I, didn't, I didn't know that after this many years. Um, that he had played on that album. So that's, I'll have to give him a shout and then uh, well, I'll chat with him about that. Yeah, please do. I know our steel player, John David Call is in, is, is in contact with Al, um, you know, a, a quite a bit. And um, because Al makes cases for steel guitars. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a steel so, guitar shop up here. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got, you know, road cases and stuff like that. So John, you know, wears through one every couple of years and gives Al a call and he sends one down and, you know, we're back out there doing it. So awesome. Yeah, it was, I was. That was a great uh, surprise when I read that. I didn't realize that. So, so what, what was it like at the beginning with Pure Period? Like, uh, obviously, you know, you're a country rock band, and it's interesting. Like you and Poco and those type of groups um, certainly had that country rock thing. But you think of country music now, um, and it even country rock in your category is way too country for country now, but, uh, or we're way too rock. I mean, you know, most of the music coming out of Nashville is pop rock. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like other than using a, a, a twang and a, an accent, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's produced like rock records and, you know, yeah, exactly. So what it was like touring back then, um, obviously you, you know, had this new band and, you're getting out there and did you have any idea that things were heading the way they were heading or did you just enjoy being with the band? Well, I mean, I, you know, when I joined the band, I had known those guys since they started, I saw their first gig in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, uh, in 69. As a matter of fact, they were one of our opening acts at this place called Ludlow's garage. And, um, and I, I watched their set from right in front of the stage, and I went, wow, I love this stuff. I, you know, I, I want to be in this band someday. And a couple of years later, there I was. Excellent. So, yeah, yeah, it was. But, uh, you know, when we started touring, you know, the band toured a little bit after the first album um, and just used a couple of friends, a, a bass player from L.A. and, uh, you know, a, a 
drummer. Well, actually, Billy Hines uh, joined them and, mm-hmm. and on the club circuit and then went out with them. But, uh, you know, it, it, Pure Prairie League actually opened up a show for Malo at Carnegie Hall in 71. Wow. And were everything but booed off the stage. And um, I thought, boy, this is not an auspicious start for a group. <laughs> but when we started touring in 72, um, we had signed with the biggest college booking agency in the country at that time, Variety Artists International. Oh, yeah. Out of yeah, Variety. Yeah, I remember them. Yep. And um, so they put us in colleges and by 73, um, right after Craig had left due to the draft situation he had, um, it's like, well, do you guys, are you going to break up or what's going on? It's like, no, we're not going to break up. We're going to, you know, get another guy and join the band and we're going to, we're going to do it. So we started doing college shows and it got to be, you know, 250, 275 college dates a year Wow! for, for about 10 years, all through the seventies and into the eighties. Yeah. College gigs were, that was a big deal, um, back in those days and, I, I know even up here, there are a lot of colleges, even when I was younger, I know they had bands all the time. Obviously, I don't think it's as much of a thing nowadays, but um, but that that was a, that obviously kept you really, really busy. And that was like a foundation of growing your act. Bingo. That was, that was the whole thing. I mean, uh, you know, we played, uh, you know, RCA dropped us in 73 when they thought that, uh, you know, when Craig left, uh, that, um, you know, that, 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 well, that's the end of this band. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, we're out there humping it on the college circuit all over the country and, um, jamming Amy down people's throats every night. Yeah. So the next thing you know, they're playing it on college radio stations. And, um, you know, and those kids were like between 18 and 21 years old or whatever, 22 years old. So, you know, I mean, that's, a lot of people in the 70s in college at that time grew up listening to Pure Prairie League and saw us in concert in their field house or in their auditorium or whatever. And so, you know, plus colleges, you know, they had a decent budget. They paid decent money. Yep. And, um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, some of the crowds we had in these colleges, I mean, you fill up a 10,000-seat basketball arena. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, we used to carry our own sound and light, so we know we sounded good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it just worked out. That built our fan base, and it built our careers as a, as a band. And we're, we're eternally grateful for that. Thank you, college. Yeah. The, the last person I heard that really did well with that was uh, Dirk Spantley, country singer Dirk Spantley. And he, they used to do just a ton of college dates. And they would do like an opening spot for... Gosh, no, you know, they could be opening up for George Strait or anyone like that uh, on a tour. And as soon as they're done, they'd wrap their stuff up and drive, you know, a couple hundred miles to get to some college somewhere. And they play at midnight uh, for some college party. And they do that all the time. And it's their found, it was their foundation of really building an audience. Um, That's a deal. Yeah. You know, you got to put the miles in. Yeah, you certainly do. It takes the work. And obviously, it's good for the band. You're playing a lot. And, you know, the band gets really, really tight. Absolutely. And, you know, in, the, in those days, you know, we were all young enough to figure about, you know, we, we figured, well, you know, let's get creative here. I mean, we, we're writing our own tunes. Let's, uh, let's, you know, get that process accelerated and, uh, you know, come up with some more stuff because, you know, the record companies at that time wanted an album a year from you. Yeah. 
So when RCA re-signed Pure Prairie League in 75, it was like, boom, 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 let's go, an album a year. So who who did a lot of the writing uh, in the group? Was it a group effort or did we have... Uh, did you- All the arrangements were a group effort, but the writing depended on who was the lead singer at the time. You know, it, it, Craig Fuller had written a lot of the first two records yeah. and George Powell, the rhythm guitar player, was basically a fledgling songwriter and had a few tunes on those records. Um, even more so when Craig left, when we hired uh, Larry Goshorn in 73 to replace Craig, Larry was a songwriter and um, added a little more bluesy influence to it. But, uh, you know, he grew up in Cincinnati in the same area that we did. So we, you know, we, um, we had a real simpatico with our styles and that. And, um, but we wanted to, you know, the Pure Prairie League's, approach was sort of like uh northern kentucky southern ohio yeah. rock and roll meets you know northern kentucky southern ohio bluegrass and hillbilly music and that and that's what we grew up listening to and grew up playing so um you know we wanted to kind of keep that uh keep that focus in that direction for the band but we also wanted to be able to expand on that yeah because we're becoming better players and you know, uh, and, uh, and trying harder to work on songs and stuff. So when, when did you actually start playing? How young were you when you, you picked up an instrument? I was 14. 14. And what, what made, what drove you to do that? Well, that was the year that the Beatles won Ed Sullivan right around my birthday in February. And then, um, you know, and that was just like, holy cow, this is good stuff. Yeah. And I went to, uh, I was kind of, big for my age. So I snuck into a, a nightclub in Newport, Kentucky to hear Lonnie Mack play. Hmm. So Lonnie Mack is a great guitar player and blues singer. And, and, uh, he was from Indiana, you know, and he used to play on these clubs and bars and stuff. And I snuck in and I heard him play and sing. And I just went, that's it. This is what I'm going to do. And, um, went to Sears <laughs> and bought a, bought a silver tone bass guitar with the, with the speaker yep. and the amp in the case. Yep. And uh, boy, I wish I had that now. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, that um, that was it for me. Wow. And what made you decide bass? Uh, drums were too much of a pain in the ass to carry around. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> and we already had a guitar player in the little high school band that I was, you know, that I had put together. So uh, you know, it's like, okay, nobody's playing bass. Great, let's do it. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting choices uh, when you're young and why you decide to choose whatever instrument it was. It's it's interesting, you know, and because you, know, you know there's a lot of guitar players out there, but when you've got a bass or drums or steel guitar, any of those type of instruments, where it's like those are conscious decisions to to play that play that instrument. Um, you know, it's it's interesting on the thought and why that happens. Well, I have to admit that, you know, watching Paul McCartney play and sing, and he played so melodically and sang so great, you know, uh, because they're, you know, they're kind of counterintuitive. You know, you're, you're playing the bass and you're playing these bass notes, but you're, you're not playing melody notes, but you have to sing melodies. So, I, you know, I worked on that. I, I started out singing and, you know, taught myself how to play bass and sing along with it. And uh, it just, it's, you know, it just went on from there. So, but I, you know, McCartney was one of the first to just to 
blow my mind in terms of the uh, the art of playing bass and singing, you know, and then from there on, Jack Bruce and, you know, all the other great bass players. And I was listening to a lot of jazz. So, you know, that made me want to practice more and more. And yeah. Yeah. Great. Great choice. <laughs> I love well, knock wood. It's, it's stuck with me. I mean, there's, let me see what's in back of me here. There's, there's, you know, there's a bunch of basses and a yeah. upright, you know, stuff like that. So, <laughs> so what you go to a bass now? Would you play live? Well, uh, live, I carry a, um, I had a, uh, a Fender PJ built, a Precision Jazz. It's a jazz neck and a precision body and Precision and Jazz Seymour Duncan pickups. Yeah. Um, because that's just, it's, it, it, and it's a, it's a great American standard maple neck, you know. Um, uh, I had them build it for him because I needed a good road guitar. My 64 jazz bass was getting beat to shit, and so I had to, you know, take that off the road. Yeah. And the yeah. Alembic was uh, really heavy. Oh, yeah. And I have a John, Whist John Entwistle uh, model Alembic that I've ha I had made for me in 77, and I love that guitar, and it sounds great, but boy, is it heavy. It, you know, it's different with, like, guitar players and bass players. Even if you had a heavier guitar, it's because guitar players are always repositioning where the weight distributes on your body, right? Because it's mm -hmm. it's forward, it's back, it's here. But bass, it's pretty well. You're kind of locked in one. This is where it is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it, the the weight is a big deal after a while, um, uh, and that makes you know having a nice light instrument makes it makes it much easier. And well, you have to have some heft, you know, uh, to the to the body to make it resonate and talk. But yeah. you know, on the other hand, you don't want to be you know slogging around with this you know millstone yeah so yeah it's not as if you can you can change up and play left-handed <laughs> yeah well wouldn't it be nice yeah you know I take, a, I take a few different guitars with me you know depending on what the gig is and stuff like that i mean if we do like a, a scaled down acoustic type show you know i'll bring an acoustic bass with me and yeah and uh, you know and, and play that but uh but it's just sort of um, that's why I've got all these back here because I pick them all up and I play them, you know, for a half an hour each and put them back on the stand. And, and I, you know, as for recording, it's great to have a few different access to, to get a few different sounds. Yeah, that's for sure. Let me ask you a question that I usually save for the end, but since we're, we're talk, talking about uh, instruments, if you had to, uh, this is kind of a hypothetical question, but I like to ask all musicians I have on the podcast, if you had to leave your house in a hurry for a reason, uh, can only take one instrument with you. Uh, what which one would it be? My '64 Jazz. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. And my 1920 Gibson mandolin, and my 1964 Martin D28. You could probably so I'd make, I'd make room for. Yeah, the mandolin. It's like, only one, so there you go. Yeah, <laughs> good. So, as far as pure pure league goes, um, eventually. Uh, uh, a young lad by the name of Vince Gill joined the group. Um, how did that? How did that all come together? How did you manage to to see him and decide that was going to be uh, the new person in the band? Well, it was uh, you know it was sort of an organic progression. Um, by by the time we did the live album in '77 and then the uh, Just Fly album in, in uh, at the end of '77. Yeah. 78. Um, Larry and Timmy Goshorn 
uh, who were the guitar players in the band and brothers, um, they were kind of tiring of the road. You know, it was, you know, those, those were days of excess as well. So, yeah. you know, um, but uh, they had sort of reached the end of the road rope and decided they were going to, you know, just do a local thing on their own as the Goshorn brothers, which they did and were very successful. Yeah. Um, you know, I always kind of saw Pure Prairie League as, because they started out without a real full rhythm section, I always saw it as, as sort of a fluid, you know, blob, yeah. always <laughs> morphing into something. something else, you know, and see where it goes from here. And uh, so when they decided to leave, you know, uh, George Powell, the rhythm guitar player, who was one of the original guys that also left, uh, the steel player, John Call, was gone because his back fell apart on him right after the live record. So, um, you know, it was, we were basically at one of those crossroads again. What are we going to do? And it's like, well, let's, you know, there's plenty of people that can play. And, you know, let's see what's going on. And I had been playing in the summertime with Vince um, down in uh, – Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach uh, with Byron Berline and Sundance. Oh, neat. And um, so we were auditioning guitar players in L.A. in uh, 78, and we had gone through a whole bunch of people. And sort of at the end of the day, this one guy showed up to audition, and uh, he brought Vince with him. So, cause <laughs> that's a, Vince that's a mistake. Up, <laughs> yeah, well, Vince had opened up shows for us uh, in a bluegrass band he had in Oklahoma City called Mountain Smoke. And we had him come up and sit in with us. And, you know, I offered him a gig on the spot back in 76. I said, man, if you ever want to play rock and roll, here's my number. Yeah. Um, so in 78, uh, you know, the guy, the guy that was with him didn't really cut the mustard, as they say. But, uh, but you know, Vince said, uh, we said, hey, man, you know, we're done for the day. You want to jam a little bit? He says, I've got my guitar in the car. I'll go get it. We wound up playing for four hours. And I reiterated the offer and he accepted. <laughs> wow. I wonder how his friend felt. He probably knew. I mean, the guy, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, um, he, he, you know. <laughs> you know, we've been pretty seasoned after you know being on the road for five or six years and uh and and so we you know it took a lot to keep up with us it still does yeah so um so he just couldn't keep up with us and we you know moved on and so vince joined the band and uh he had a friend that uh, lived in la that uh that was a really good songwriter and and um a good singer and he played steel guitar and saxophone. So I thought, well, here we go. You know, this is, it's serendipitous. And, uh, you know, so we went in the studio, did our last album for RCA, uh, called can't hold back. Yeah. Um, recorded that at criteria studios in Miami, uh, with the Bee Gees in the next room and Julio Iglesias in the other room and John Lee Cougar in the other room. Wow. So it was, it was, that was a trip, but, um, you know, we did that first that first record with Vince without a steel guitar because RCA wanted us to just start competing with bands like Ambrosia and Player, and oh, yeah. you know, be a, you know that was during, that was right at the height of the big disco scare. Yeah, you know that shit almost caught on. So <laughs> almost. <laughs> so uh, you know, so we we played with a, a bit more of a of, of a pop 
inclination, but, you know, we even had some stuff on there that was sort of jazzy and that, but, you know, I mean, the Can't Hold Back was a, a severely uh, overlooked record, um, but it was, that was the end of the road for us in RCA, especially when they spelled the name of the band wrong on the record. Did they? <laughs> Oops. So, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, so we wound up uh, moving on from there and uh, and, uh, and signed with our friend Bruce Bird, who was running uh, Casablanca Records for Neil Bogart. Yeah. So we go from, you know, RCA to uh, Casablanca. That was a weird Christmas party with Kiss and Donna Summer and, you know. Yeah, I guess it would be. Uh, it It's funny going back to you mentioning, you know, hiring a steel player who plays sax i mean that's not something that you see very often um that no it, actually he was a lead guitar player he was a very good instrumentalist on you know on pretty many fronts yeah and very prolific he still is a very prolific songwriter and uh um uh we we wore him out in a year Did you? yeah <laughs> between playing and writing and uh and uh you know, and we put him to work. We we ran him like the midnight cowboy. You know. Yeah, it's it's interesting how um, you can either handle that kind of workload um, or you can't. Um, and it's tough. I mean, especially even on the road, you can you can either handle being on the road and having long hours and just go go go. Um, and it may be good for a while, but there's not too many people can really stick it out for a long time. It's, it's, you have to have, it's something in you that, that, uh, you just can't learn. It's just has to be a part of you. Well, it's called discipline. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have to, it's, it's all fun and games or, well, it's a lot of fun and games, but you know, you also have to realize that, wow, this could really, you know, this could make me old quick. And it made a lot of people that had been in my band and, and other bands, old very quick or it killed them yeah so you know i mean it's so yeah it's like okay if we're going to do this we're going to do it and you know keep up with things i mean vince had never even taken an aspirin in his life yeah never drink a beer until of course until he joined pure priority <laughs> you broke him in <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like having uh vance how did that change the 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 band at all did it was there any difference there or it was just a, we got a new front guy? There was a difference because Vince was a bluegrasser at heart, but he played like, he played guitar like Larry Carlton. Yeah. I mean, he's, he was just a monster and he could sing anything and play anything. He could play fiddle and mandolin and banjo and everything else. So we, you know, it fit the Pure Prairie League flexible mold. And, um, and it, 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 was, uh, it was great having him in the band. The singing was great. The uh, the um, oh, someone's talking. The computer's talking to you. <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's my Sonos speaker that has Alexa. In oh it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I thought I disabled that. Anyway, um, yeah, Vince. You know, I mean, his he some of the songs that he wrote for the Can't Hold Back album, including the title track was like it had a lot of R&B and jazz influence in it and uh, but then we did songs like White Line by Willie P Bennett and uh and things like that that um that were just pure country. Yeah. 
and he sang he sang everything so well. And then like the songs that Pat Bowler and I wrote together, uh, 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 "Restless Woman" and uh, and um, you know a couple of others, uh, which we're still doing on the you know "Goodbye So Long." We still do on the road now, you know, which we revived a couple of years ago. So it's there were some great songs and uh, lots of fun to play. And Vince was just you know he could because he could play so well, just brought the level of the band's musicianship up several notches and uh and 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 sent pure prairie league into the 80s with a you know with a guns blazing ready to go it's interesting uh in many cases either you know if you're in a band situation or if you're recording or whatever but you have someone that comes in who's a smoking player it really makes everyone you know think oh i better start picking things up here because it's pretty easy to be complacent after playing a, a bunch of years in a band and and you've got your thing um and you do it but you you don't realize sometimes after a while it just becomes routine right. but if, having that extra little spark really sometimes is that thing that really makes everybody just drive along a lot quicker Yep. When I um when I before I joined Pure Prairie League, I moved up to Woodstock right after the festival. Yeah. And uh, in 1970, and um, you know, there were several bars in town, and the you know the band lived there, Dylan lived there, uh, the guys in Elephant's Memory. Uh, there was music everywhere. Uh, the fabulous Rhinestones and all those guys. I mean, the, 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 there was music everywhere. So every night of the week, whether we had a, a club gig or not, we'd go sit in in all these bars and stuff like that. And a lot of players were really good R&B players and jazz players. Um, and uh, you had to up your game to be able to play with people like Warren Bernhardt and Mike Maneri and David Sanborn and, yeah. you know, or Dave Holland says, "Hey man, let's do a let's do a project with electric bass and acoustic bass." So you know, what do you what do you say no to Dave Holland or Jack DeJohnette? So, yeah, yeah, you definitely have to up your game. And, and it's amazing that sometimes you don't realize you have something in you until you're put in a situation where you have to actually give it a bit more, and then it's like, "Oh, where did that come from?" Um, fire, bub. Yeah, it's yeah, it's neat. Uh, being in those, I've been in those circumstances before where you'd have to rise to a occasion and it's sort of like, oh, it's always been there. It just, you needed someone to bring it out. It's like having a really good producer that, that knows how to bring something out of a player or a singer. It's, they, you can, you can tell, um, you know, I've produced a lot of stuff and, and some people you can tell whether that's the best they got in. You, I don't know what it is, if it's an intuition, you just kind of, but then there's other people you realize, yeah, I think I can get more out of this person. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Well, you know, once again, you know, we, we pushed Vince's boundaries uh, in a lot of ways, and it made him grow as a musician. And, um, you know, and, and still, I mean, to this day, we see Vince when we play the Grand Ole Opry because he makes sure that he's the host awesome. so that he can sit in and play with us. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's always been very gracious and generous about, you know, well, Pure Prairie League, taught me about rock and roll and about touring and about business and about, you know, he basically got to start learning those kind of things and stretching and finding those things inside of him that, uh, you know, that brought him to where he is today. I mean, but, you know, it's, it, he was a talent like that is just 
undeniable, unmistakable, and you know, completely, you're you'd have to be blind, deaf, and dumb to not see that kind of just pure raw talent. So, yeah. and I'm I'm thrilled for Vince now that he's with the Eagles. Oh, isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. it's a good fit. Yeah, yeah. it was a perfect fit. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're the world's greatest cover band of themselves, and they and you know, and Vince fits in like hand in glove. You know, it's like they, you know, I mean, I I loved Glenn. And um, and Deacon does a very good job. I used to be Deacon Scoutmaster. Oh no! <laughs> <years. way. laughs> but, um, That's great. But, uh, but uh, you know, Vince just has picked up that that mantle um, and and wears it well and carries it. I think he lifts once again, lifts the the level up. You know, I see him every time they come to New York to the Garden and stuff like that. And, yeah. And it just uh, you know it just kills me. Yeah, that's a I'm thrilled for him. So what um eventually uh Vince left the group. Um and so what was that? So was Vince moving on to do something else? Yep. You know, I mean after three years or three and a half years on the road and we did three records, um, you know, we had some good success with Let Me Have Tonight yeah. and uh still right here in my heart and and you know, a couple of other tunes that charted uh up in the top ten and um, but Vince was also feeling his oats and, and, you know, he s said, you know, I think it's time for us to, you know, it's time for me to move on. And, you know, we've never stopped anybody from doing what they want to do. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and because, and by that time it, it was kind of obvious that Pure Prairie League had become a bit of a springboard, you know, for a lot of people and, um, uh, which is great. Yeah. You know, it, uh. Uh, it it enriched the band and enhanced the band and the the, the band's brand and our name and uh, and gave these other guys a chance. So when Vince left, I was looking around and found a guy uh, named Gary Burr. He was in Connecticut. He was a great songwriter and you know wound up playing with Carol King and co-writing you know five or six of Ringo's records and played with Ringo and. You know, he's a country music hall of fame songwriter in that. And so I got Gary in, in the band and um, I had hired half of Kenny Loggins' band. Oh, yeah. The, the sax player and the drummer and uh, um, the guitar player. Uh, and uh, that's so in the, in the 80s, after Vince left, we, you know, continued to, uh, we were without a record deal, but we continued to um, work on tunes and continued on the road you know, until 87, basically, which is when we did a final project. I thought it was going to be final because we're, you know, it was sort of sliding into that. Well, the next step is down to playing clubs. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, uh, I decided to retire the band at the end of 87. We did a project called mementos for a CD manufacturer in Dublin, Ohio. And I got Vince and the gosh horns and Craig and George, everybody had been in the band up to those uh, and up through the years yeah. to come in and reprise some songs and play some new songs. So that was the, uh, that was going to be our thank you and good night. Yeah. And we figured, you know, I mean, I, I was ready to start raising a family and Craig had kids and we were, you know, we were thinking, okay, let's, you know, let's put this to bed you know, consider it a job well done. And, yep. you know, we'll, we're happy to be a footnote in musical history. And then by 99, 
our kids were growing up and <laughs> our wives were getting sick and tired of us being around the house. So Craig and I put the band back together, you know, with Mike Connor and, uh, and a couple of other guys that we had known from Nashville and, you know, and here we are still it's 2021. I can't believe it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, 20 in, years it's interesting because, you know, the, obviously the market has changed, uh, different types of venues to play at. Um, the casino market is big and, uh, the performing arts centers, as you mentioned, um, back in the 70s and 80s, those weren't really, you know, casinos were like Vegas and Elvis, and um, there really weren't all those places to play all over the place. Um, sure. Now it's the, you know, the options to play, and um, people want to hear things from their youth. I mean, that's such an important part of people's lives is listen to pure paralegal and um it, it's amazing how that music stays uh with you for so long uh, and, and it's and it's really a huge huge part of your life um yeah that's the nail on the head yeah. you know when we play these shows you know the, the demographic goes from high school to you know basically almost wheelchair yeah <laughs> and um um, you know, we look at the people, uh, you know, when we sing these songs and they're, you know, some of them, their eyes are kind of like either closed or kind of rolled back in their head and they're back in their college days and they're singing every word and stuff like that. I mean, that's in incredibly gratifying. Um, and it's, you know, it's just, it's, it, wow, talk about being jazzed for what you do and, you know, being validated. Yeah. You know, to know that you're appreciated and your music's appreciated. So, yeah. And it's nice you can come back and you sound great. And, um, you know, there's certain groups and we've all seen them and heard them where, you know, the singer gets back or the, the band's back and it's just not great. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I hear you. But, you know, and we certainly don't mention names or cast aspersions, but uh, some people would have been better off staying at home. Yeah. But then again, that's God bless them for trying. Yep. And, you know, we've just been lucky, uh, you know, every, every iteration of pure Prairie league, even since 99, uh, the band's always gotten better. I mean, the unit that we've got right now is just kick ass and take names. You know, we finally hired a new keyboard player a couple of years ago and that just rounded out what we've been missing. Yeah. And uh, the steel guitar player, you know, the original steel player, John Call, is playing with us. And uh, Donnie Clark, the guitar player, has been with us for 15 years. Scott Thompson, who's a monster drummer, has been with us for eight, nine years. And uh, and it's just, you know, it's, the band is tight. The vocals are great. Yeah. You know, we're working on new material. And, um, you know, we, 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 uh, we have no reason to want to just, you know, crawl into a corner and whimper. Yeah. That's awesome. What was it like back in the day when you were on the Merv Griffin show and those type of shows <laughs> back then? There's some great videos online I've watched and, and uh, uh, you know, the hair. And the whole deal. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, what is it like performing on those shows? Well, you know, most of those things were pantomime type situations. You know, except for Don Kirshner's rock concert, but uh, and Austin City Limits, which was great. Yeah. Um, but you know, the other things were basically, you know, they were they were publicity performances to promote an album. So we did everything from Solid Gold to 
the Dolly Parton show. Yeah. You know, and uh, and uh, rock concert and Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas and John Davidson and you know, um, they were fun. And you know, I being a member of SAG AFTRA. You know, all of a sudden I found out, wait a minute, there's there's some money there. And uh, so, you know, they send me a couple bucks every month and, you know, for all those old shows that we did in the 80s. And uh, that's that's great. That's like, <laughs> thank you. Free money. Yeah, gravy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. So I'd like to get a hold of, uh, you know, some of those shows. I know that some a friend of mine who does a lot of archiving work uh, with old shows has volunteered to do some research and pull some of these these shows for me so i i always mention it comes up a lot but for young entertainers now it's such a great thing because they've you know everyone's recording the show with their cell phones they can go online and see everything from the night before there's all this footage um more than you ever could ever want to have uh but know back in the day that just didn't exist it's hard and it's hard to find masters and um right. anything to play them on and uh all that so um i think the young young gener younger generation really has it lucky to be able to have that type of archive of their their work um it's just not available for a lot of other acts well you know it was a smart guy that said you can't go forward unless you look in the past and look backward yeah and um, and for especially for artists and songwriters and stuff these days, you know, I think it does. It's it certainly should be part of their entire makeup. I mean, you know, there's there's so many YouTube and Instagram type uh, artists. Yeah. That it's like you know they're not in they're only into it for likes and and you know whatever I'm not a, I'm not a huge social media guy or even a fan, um, but uh, but I see some stuff and you know it's it it just it blows my mind how that is popular but that's that's today that's what is going on in 2021 and you know God bless them all and and best of luck. You know, I feel lucky that we're still around after 50 years and, and, and can still go out and play. You know, we, we don't have to make a living at it, but it certainly helps. Yeah. And, and um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's generational and it's all on the wheel. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, the young younger generation and you know, like YouTube stars and some of them are famous and they could be a famous singer or whatever. And they never played in front of an audience before. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre. Oh, that, manufactured boy bands and all that kind of stuff back in the, back in the day, you know I mean? That's, they were put together and basically, you know, be a, you know, a novelty or whatever. And it's, you know, they, there wasn't, uh, um, longevity, in, built into that equation at all yeah. it was like okay let's let's hit it make some dough splash and then boom boom you know and now you've got guys you know that used to be in those boy bands that are out doing insurance commercials and, yeah <laughs> yeah it, you know it's it's funny now that you look back and it's not funny but it's it's interesting that bands are really kind of rare um a band band where it's it's not just a lead singer and someone playing behind them 
but you know this is a band that we everybody partakes and it's it's part of the sound and and that type of thing it's um I, that's my favorite thing uh seeing a band that's been together for a long time in their season and they and there's just something about their sound right uh, right it may not be perfect it may not every note might not be just it but it's a combination of these group of people performing for a long time um that you just can't you can't beat that that's just something that's just awesome it's authentic yeah it's true i mean you know even people like chris stapleton you know i mean it, it, he has a touring band and all that stuff but i mean he played in bands for years yeah um you know and 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 uh, a lot of artists like that dave matthews you know that's a great band um you know there's lots of guys that uh that have been playing for years that, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad they are still playing, you know, and it's, there's nothing that, that, that gets you like, that because a band creates its own energy. Yeah. You know, whereas a solo performer is in the white hot spotlight the whole time, they've got to dance, they've got to sing, they've got to tell jokes, they've got to do the whole vaudeville thing. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, Good luck. I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I know it's nothing. It, it's great. We can just take an act and you can put them anywhere and they can perform and entertain. But there's so many acts now that unless you, you strip the lights and the sound and the dancers and everything away, they, there's nothing left. Right. Right. I mean, you know, there's a market for it. There's an audience for it. It's just not, ours or mine, you know, and, and, uh, once again, I don't begrudge anybody at, and, uh, you know, but it's just the times. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yep. Yeah. The one question I thought was be interesting with, with a band that's been going for so long and obviously you joined a few, few years later, it, it's must be interesting who carries the name, right? Like who's, who ends up being the band, right? Cause there's lots of different members over the years, right? That must be a, a complicated issue, um, uh, for a lot of, a lot of groups, but, um, you know, all of a sudden it's sort of like, there's this core bunch of guys and there's this person, that person. Um, but then there's someone has to carry, the name who's in charge of pure prairie league um and obviously that yeah. that's that must be you right yeah point. it was sort of a de facto thing i mean i i basically got elected uh hope of this dump by uh <laughs> by default <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> hey who elected you pope of this dump <laughs> but um yeah i mean it, it was it, it's, i i always believed in that band and um when i joined it it seemed just sort of like predestined that I was going to wind up being the band leader yeah. because, you know, it's like, let's, you know, keep these guys together. Let's, you know, let's keep our eyes on the ball and let's do this. And, um, I always had that, I don't know, it was just part of my personality, I guess. I mean, I've, I've always tried to have been a, you know, a benevolent dictator. Yeah. But well, I mean, every band also needs a band leader, and you know that I've not I've not shied away from making some tough decisions, and and um, you know I've made plenty of mistakes, 
but that's just part of the learning process and the growing process. And, and, uh, you know, luckily there are still some people that can shoulder that and, you know, yeah. Well, someone's, someone's got to be the leader. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I truly believe that. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, uh, uh, um, like I said, benevolent democracy is, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, or benevolent dictatorship, um, bands that try to be a democracy wind up, you know, basically ready to slash each other's throats. So yeah. it's not a democracy. It's like, you know, everybody needs guidance. Like every good young band needs a good producer. Yeah. And we were lucky enough to get people like John Boylan and John Ryan and the uh, Albert brothers and, you know, in Miami and stuff like that. We had people that, uh, that, that were sympathetic to what we were trying to do and let us do it and actually got, got us to do it better than we knew how we were going to do it. So, you know, yeah, it's, there, every band needs a leader. Every, you know, every country needs a leader. Yes. Hello. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Different. So we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting for sure. Well, uh, let's wrap up on, uh, uh, a final question here and I appreciate your time and, uh, uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and I'm a big fan of your group and it's so great to see you, um, y'all performing and I hope that you'll be able to get back out on the road real soon. Cause we all, <laughs> we all miss it a lot. I know. Um, but, uh, obviously the, the base question of, you know, what instruments you would take out was one of my final questions, but this is a question I like to ask uh, a lot of people. And I've known you've, you've played so many different types of places, but, uh, is there a venue or a place or a city or a country that you've always wanted to perform at and you've never had the chance? Well, this band never got to play in, uh, in uh, Japan or the far East, um, or Australia or New Zealand. <coughs> and actually Pure Prairie never gotten to tour Europe. Oh, really? So, um, you know, it's always been, well, there's the possibility of it, but, uh, but things never shook out, you know, in terms of being able to afford to do it. Yeah. You know, we never made as enough money to be able to afford it ourselves and just, you know, take it as it may. Um, but I think the favorite place that we've ever played is Red Rocks, you know, in Colorado. Well, we played there a dozen times with yeah. so many different groups. And, um, you know, it's just a magical place. And uh, I mean, literally magical. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think that's my favorite place to play, but, uh, um, you know, we, we have fans all over the world and that's, you know, that's a nice thing. And especially these days with YouTube and my face and all that other stuff, you know, it's like, uh, people still get, you know, a little dose of pure Prairie league, which is good for anybody. And it's nice that you have a lot of musician fans too. That's always nice for a band. Uh, you know, I, I posted that I was uh, having an interview here today and, and a lot of me, my musician friends were commenting on what songs they used to play. And, and you know, it's always nice that when you're a group and you're appreciated by your peers. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. When we found out that, uh, you know, people were cutting our songs like Travis Tritt and, uh, and um, Randy Scruggs did a, uh, a version of Amy. Oh, nice. I'll have to check that out. It was, it was great. Yeah. And uh, Dave Matthews used to do Amy in their set and Keith Urban and, uh, uh, um, you know, a lot of people yeah. used to play songs of Pure Prairie Leagues in their set. And uh, that's really, once again, 
gratifying, validating, and uh, <laughs> I applaud their good taste. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well, thank you very much for joining uh, me on the podcast. And uh, and this is your first podcast, so that was pretty awesome. Well, that, that cherry is now been popped yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe i can do things a little uh, a little easier in the future uh, you know i'll even see if i can get the get used to zooming and stuff like that and but uh, i really appreciate your you know you're, you're taking the time and uh, and also uh you know basically keeping the keeping the word alive and and uh, keeping the faith with your prayer uh Definitely. If people want to find out what's happening with Pure Prairie League, what's the best way? Obviously, you have the the website, and um, I'm sure. Yeah, which which I you know I updated last year, and now I have to update it again to get the uh, you know to get a, a current ter- touring schedule and uh, news blogs and stuff like that on there. Um, uh, but th- that's the best place to go. Yeah, is purepreleague.com. Excellent. Well, hopefully uh, you'll get into my neck of the woods and I'd love to come out and see you and and uh, I'd love to see a show. So let's keep your fingers crossed. And um, have you, did you ever do shows up? Uh, I'm sure you did. Did you uh, do many Canadian tours? And uh, Oh, yeah. We used, we used to go across all the Jubilee theaters oh, yeah. from one of the country to the other. Yeah. We did the Toronto place several times outdoors. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we played some clubs in Toronto in the area. We've, you know, we've done a lot of stuff. We toured a lot with uh, Marshall Tucker and Charlie Daniels and did a lot of those jubilees. Yep. Uh, we did uh, Calgary Stampede a bunch of times. Um, you know, so yeah, we've we've had great success in Canada. We got we actually got a bunch of our equipment stolen in Canada one time. Did you really? Oh, yeah. That's a- that. Uh, that uh, you know, all of a sudden guitar cases started showing up. Uh, you know, um, two years later, you know, once the internet hit and eBay hit and all that kind of stuff, it's like, uh, hey, you guys interested in a, an old guitar case? There's no guitar in it, but wow, yeah, yeah. But you know, hey, it happens. Yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, no, good. You know, once again, I think this podcast is a great idea, and um, I'm glad you're, you know, getting a, a good. I looked, you know, on the site and stuff like that, and you've got a great array you know just a just a just a wide uh, range of subjects and people to talk with and i think it's a great thing you're doing so thank you i appreciate it it's it's uh been great for me I, the conversations have been wonderful i'm always very inspirational and um i think we all have something to learn from one another and um it's it's great to be able to sit down and have a a regular chat because you don't usually have especially even if you meet someone at a show uh you don't have time to sit and chat for an hour you know no, um, no, d- no. doesn't happen so well once again it's i may i may have to look into this whole uh you know this whole idea a, a little more because i think it's a great i think it's a great format and it's a great venue for uh for artists and yeah um you know keep up the good work thank you when you got your zoom thing figured out so you're all set Hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And uh, to stay on, I'll just end this up, and uh, but I will say a proper goodbye. But thanks for joining in the podcast, and uh, uh, keep trucking. We'll hope to see you soon. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks. Uh-huh.